Today on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we are back from vacation. We are back to basics, and we're talking about what works for women at work. Yeehaw! Because that's what we're all about. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Karina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we're back. We're back from vacation. We're back from, we were just figuring it out. How long? Five and a half years? No, we did five reruns. We did five reruns. <laughs> <laughs> and we released a show every other week. So that was 10 weeks of yes. not recording. Two and a half weeks, two and a half months of a vacation, a rest, some relaxation, some travel, some fun. We do feel really perky. <laughs> I feel super perky. Isn't that nice? I wonder if we went back and like listened to the last show that we recorded before Would we vacation. Feel so perky. Did we, did we were we just like I don't know, but I feel really perky. And here we are. We are back and we are back to do a couple of things. One, we're back to talk about women in work because that's what we do. Ease meaning and joy. And because we want to get ease meaning and joy. Still all these years later, for all we're of you. looking for ease, meaning, and joy. For all of you. Um, and we are also recording from the traditional lands of Lummi Nation. Yeah? Yes. Yes. There we are. Um, fabulous. And we are, like you said, perky and ready to go. It, was been, it has been an interesting, you know, summer, though. Mm -hmm. Not recording. It has been. I mean, honestly, I will say one of the things I missed was the constant... Um, back and forth, back and forth between you, me and you, and reading things and researching things and the text message, sending it back and forth. Did you yeah. see this? And then the every other week deep dive into a subject. We did replace that with some really good walks. Yeah. So yeah. it was less spontaneity and more scheduled intentional time. Yeah. And but in that scheduled intentional time, no scheduling, no random conversation. Yeah. Which is so fantastic. Yeah, I agree. That kind of free flow. So Kirsten yes. and I have started, as you know, she is such a huge fan of the morning routine. Welcome. Welcome to those of us with the morning routine, <laughs> Kirsten. And one of the new morning routines is on Mondays. Kirsten drives into town and joins me on a big walk. And that has been very really, early in the morning. I don't ever want to give that up. It's really fun. Yeah. With dogs. And lots of vacation. I hope, listener, that you also got some Really nice time. And that you heeded the words in those reruns, which if you didn't notice, all had a theme. They all had a theme. What we want for you during this period. We want all of that. We want less work. We want more self-care. We want vacations and time off and et cetera, et cetera. Less burnout, I mean, we did less want of that. the stuff. Now we want you to get your shit back in order and get back to work. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're doing. Right? Yes. And so today we're talking about something that you wanted to talk about because in this hiatus, which you mm -hmm. referred to as a sabbatical in a conversation. I, and I did. Was like, it was her podcast sabbatical. <laughs> I wish I had known that and been throwing that around for the two and a half. Because it sounds month. better than saying we just are lazy. <laughs> and I don't think that's true, though. Isn't that just the truth? That's oh, not being lazy. No. That's being intentional with your time and your energy and your long-term goal. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for the, catching yourself. Jeez, yeah. I know. Oof. Although I did feel a little bit lazy in a good way. Lazy it was, is not a bad no, word. No. Mm -hmm. Lazy is not a bad word. So you wanted to talk about something you did um, read while yes. we were away from the microphone. Yes. So I read this 
wonderful book by Joan Williams and her daughter, Rachel Dempsey, called What Works for Women at Work, Four Patterns Working Women Need to Know. And I'll be honest, I opened this book thinking, there's been something I've been missing. Yeah. I know there's a silver bullet. I know there's the answer. And I'm just going to read this big, fat, like (laughs) several hundred page book. I mean, it's like 400 pages almost with the notes. I'm going to read this big, fat book and I'm going to come back from sabbatical and I'm just going to tell everybody how to do it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, no. No. But it's good stuff. We still want to talk about it. It was really good stuff. And I really loved the way it was presented because it really helped me kind of organize in my brain the things we've been talking about all these years and to kind of categorize things. And as everybody knows, you know, I love order. I love when (laughs) things have a place, even in my brain. Yep. Even in my brain. And you got a little bit of order by reading this? I got some really good order. Good. And what what did she put order to? What okay. did she order in your brain? So she and her daughter. She and her daughter. So first of all, Joan Williams is a law school professor. She has this project called Work Life Law at Hastings Law School. She has been she has been at this work for three or four decades for a long time. She's been really focused on this work, and she wanted to write a book about kind of what she has learned over these years. And she chose her daughter, who was, a, I think, a new graduate from either undergrad or master's, whatever, a writer, a journalism person. Perfect. And wrote this wonderful book. And she says that she wrote the book during a black night of the soul, where she was dealing with the dis- her disappointment in the lack of progress, her own progress in being able to influence more change for women at work mm. and their experiences. And she said that it was helpful to her to kind of go through this process because she said that she came out on the other side recognizing that, yeah, there is still some work to do on affecting change, but mm-hmm. there are some things we can do. The focus of the book is definitely personal. Right. Like, Which is also, I feel mm-hmm. like, ties directly into the stuff that we talk mm-hmm. about, right? That it... That it's, by the way, I've been catching myself saying the word right after sentences, and it's driving me batshit. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. I got to stop myself. So every time you say right, I'll go, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Can you point it out to me and make it even more weird and awkward? Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. But her her approach and the, salu- and the things that she's talking about, yeah, she's not here. She's not saying we, she's not providing advice about how to change the system. Mm-mm. She's providing examples and reflections and strategies and lessons for us as individuals. Yeah. Which I really, really appreciate, right? That kind of, it's kind of how we ground ourselves in agency. Yeah. Right? We have agency. Yeah. How do we exercise it? So we're going to talk about some of the suggestions she makes. But we also wanted to spend more time on these four themes that she identifies, which will not be foreign to you, ladies. They are probably very um, familiar. They're familiar. But what was fascinating to me about it was that she got it down to four. <laughs> right? She, so yeah, yes. what happens to women at work? What happens? What are, and so she has really... It uh, boiled it down to these four things. And when I 
looked at the four things in all of our episodes, I was like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. And so, you know, because I'm a lawyer, I think with the skeptical mind. Yeah. I really do. Oh, I, super- what are you telling me that? <laughs> I can't tell you a story. Even if it's a casual story without, without you questioning something. some well, part what, of it. Why? Da, 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 da. No, or saying, you know what I really think you're trying to say, Krina? <laughs> or did you really mean this? No, don't tell me. I'm embracing my skepticism. Look, skeptical. I just yes. have decided. So embracing you- my skepticism. So, but I really did at the end really come to, I think she's got it. Yeah. I think these four things are how we can name and define our collective experience. Yes. And let's remember that book that Brene Brown wrote about emotions. Yeah. And she said, like, until we can name it, we can't then we can and define it. Yeah. We can't deal with it. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I had that same experience here. Like, oh, yes, it's all just kind of this. Mm hmm. So you, let's just get right into it. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to, do you want to, you want to give an overview? Do you want to foreshadow what the four things four are? Foreshadow. Foreshadow the four. There are four patterns in the workplace that women should be aware of that affect our experience. Yes. One, prove it again. Yep. Two, the tightrope. Three, the maternal wall for those of us who are mothers. And five, the tug of war. I think that was four. Oh my gosh, well, how did I get to five? <laughs> so random. Out of practice. <laughs> Whatever. I'm off my you're off even, my you're, you're re- even have a four on your I hand. I know I have Look a at four that. on my hand. I'm even gesticulating you a went four. To five. So we're gonna describe what those mean. That is so funny. I know. We're just gonna pretend that didn't happen. I might do it listener. again because it is so funny. <laughs> a, B, C, and E. You have to do like one, two, two three, D. D. <laughs> Okay, so those are the four things. Those are the four. So let's talk one by one about what that those really mean, because obviously those are her titles. Mm-hmm. So prove it again. That's the first one. And you, 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 you were talking about this on a walk as you were reading the book. You kept, you know, di- so that was my experience with it. I did scan the book, but I'm going to lean heavily on the fact that you did the homework on this one and read. I'm just going to pretend. No, I'm just joking. I actually did scan, skim, skim the book. But what I, when I was looking at the prove it again section, it really what I, what struck me was, you know, she's saying women. It's never enough. Once is never enough Once for women. Once is never enough. And it's th- this this part of experience stems from as many of these assumptions about how women are going to behave at work. So if you're counter, if you are counter, if you act counter to the way women are, quote unquote, expected to be to behave, um, you'll it it. Uh, You'll have to do it again and again. So if I come into a situation with competence, with competence, mm-hmm. once is not enough. And I think this is something we talk about a lot. Yeah. Right. You have to show again and again that you can do it. Yeah. And um, I actually sat with a woman. I was doing an interview for a client of mine and I sat with a woman recently who talked about this over and over and over again. Mm. She said, I have, ex- I have this is my degree. I have experience in this. I am the literally the only person in this office who has this specialized skill set. Everyone else just has opinions. And I come to meetings at this point now armed with data to support 
my recommendations because everyone is skeptical about what I'm suggesting. It's fascinating, isn't it? And she has to time and time again prove mm -hmm. that exactly. what she is bringing to the table is indeed you, yes, it's the it's it's the skepticism, yeah. right? The idea begins, or the the whatever the solution begins with skepticism. Yeah, and that's common. It takes a long time to get over that, but it's that it's this idea that um, you know, obviously, the stolen idea. We've talked about that a lot. Another example that I, which is like in meetings when uh -huh. you have an idea or something. No, it it doesn't sink in until a man says it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The other one that I thought was really interesting that she talks about as an example is mistakes. Mm -hmm. That women are punished, disciplined more severely than men for the very same mistake, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. So those yes. kinds of things fall under the prove it again category. Which is a little bit different than what I said originally. I mean, because I was saying if you act in a way that's counter to sort of the traditional no, I think that's a not a, I don't think that's an incorrect way of saying it I think that is correct because the workplace comes with bias yeah the workplace does not expect us to be competent to have the answer to be assertive enough to propose it creative enough smart enough and so I do think that that's where this stems from it stems from the bias about whether who yeah who women are and where we should be in the world right and what our competency mm -hmm. level is mm -hmm. Okay. All right. That makes sense. One of the things, though, that I one of the ones that I found interesting in the book in this section was sh how um, women's activities are cast in a negative light sim and men's aren't. Yeah. So, for instance, we're seen as bitching or gossiping or gossiping mm -hmm. where men are seen as providing constructive criticism mm -hmm. or sharing their yeah. experiences right. at work. Right. Because what they say comes with credibility because of their gender. Sure. What we say does not come with credibility because of our gender. And these are broad generalizations, by yeah. the way, right? Yeah. There's all kinds of differences in the human experience. Let's not forget that. But we're speaking in broad generalizations to kind of define the experience. Correct. And so again, women have to prove and continue to prove and prove again that they are competent. Competent. Mm -hmm. Or how about this? Maybe even exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's not about even that. It's just like, look at, let me show you my exceptionalism. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to have to do it again tomorrow. Yep. Okay. The next one she says is this tightrope. Mm. And that's really, I think, about a this kind of precarious balance that women are expected to strike between masculinity and femininity. And we've talked a lot about this. And I can picture I think it. both of us are a little bit obsessed about this one. Yeah. Because I think both of us have in some ways such masculine traits. Yes. And so our experience in this area have been so significant. Yes. And it's interesting because you're damned if you do and you're damned if mm -hmm. you don't, right? Mm -hmm. If you're mm -hmm. on the tightrope and you fall towards more feminine, then you're, you're penalized right. for that. But if you fall towards more masculine, you're penalized for exactly. that. Exactly. So again, you got to find that particular tightrope. And it's interesting because, you know, we see that we see that in people saying, oh, you know, don't be penalizing us for being too much or too little. Yes. But also in their expectations of women, like, again, back to this bias. Of course, you're a female. It's a given that you're going to go get the snacks for the meeting. Mm, yeah. And we talked a lot about that. I remember it's a given you're going to take the notes. It's a given it's that a you're, you're going to organize the party. Exactly. Yeah. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? But it's never a given. And I remember 
talking to you about this. Um, I actually noticed this stuff in my own house. Oh, yeah. I can't remember if I told this story on the air or not, but we had a gathering and there was something going on. Uh, it had a gathering here at my house. And of course, I have two boys and my sister has two daughters. And when it came time to kind of pitch in in the kitchen, I asked the, the my nieces to help me. Can you believe that? Yes, I can because I've caught myself doing the same thing. And it's just okay. And I should say this too. My daughter's caught me doing that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And later I was like, why didn't I get yes. my sons in here? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So that's. And I would, now it's what's interesting is I have basically an all women workplace. We have one associate who's a man who works with us and he is a remote worker. So he's not in the office every day. And we had somebody come in the office recently to do some recording for that Walking Women in Business thing mm. in September. You mm-hmm. know, I got that very sweet legacy award from yeah. Walking Women in Business. And they came to do this little taping. This this young man was taping. And after it was over, he says to me, are there any men here? Because they were doing it in our office, obviously. Are there any men here? And I looked at him and I was like. Well, on the other side of the building, there are a few. Why? And he goes, well, I just haven't seen any men. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So (laughs) it's just interesting now when I think about this, what happens in our workplace around the tightrope now that we just have one man working remotely. Sure. It's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, so is it just, and it's, everyone does everything. Everyone does everything. And, you know, Sally remodeled the bathroom. Perfect. So, you know, Sally's remodeling the bathroom and putting in the lights and working on the plumbing. <laughs> She's amazing. I didn't know she had those Go, skills. Sally, go. Go, Sally, go. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next thing, theme, that women experience is the maternal wall. And in all of the four themes, she said this one was the most... Um, that creates the most disparity in experience. Yes. Yeah. Like, as a mom in the workplace versus as a woman who's a mom in the workplace and a woman who is not a mom in the workplace, the disparity between those two experiences as far as numbers is the most significant. Yeah, this is the most significant and bias. And we should really clarify how we say this. I'm going to go back for a minute. So one of the things that Joan did was she talked to a number mm. of women executives and gathered their experiences. Like 130 or something like that. Gathered their, that was her focus group. I should have defined her focus group earlier on, but this is her focus it's group. Fine. She calls we're, them, get, we're just getting back at it. Just getting back we're at just, it. Give us some grace, please. We can't remember everything. So when she talked to these 130 or so women in her focus group about their experiences, here's where she found the most um, distinction, differences, disparity in experiences was being a mom, which Mm -hmm. I found very interesting. And when I thought through this, I think this is where I've experienced the most bias in the workplace is as a mom. Yeah. And I think, I think that those statistics that she uncovered in her focus group prove out in larger settings. Yes. Yeah. That it's not it wasn't just with those 127 women, but rather, I think, in research. And she cites research, to that. Yeah. yeah she research. cites to those kinds of studies. Yeah. yeah. And and to define this maternal wall, she says it's really this bias in the form of strong negative competence and commitment associations triggered by motherhood. Mm-hmm. So basically, simply by becoming a mother, we 
say you are less competent and less committed, mm-hmm. right? And there's also what she calls the prescriptive bias, meaning the thing that you should do. You should stay home with your kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. there's two, right? Descriptive and prescriptive biases. Yep. yep. Which I need to do a little bit more work on. Like, I truly want to figure out the difference. She references several different yes, kinds of bias. Kinds of bias mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm, th- there, were, there were some words that I didn't even know how to pronounce. So I'm types of bias I didn't know how to pronounce. I'm not even joking about that. So I'm going to do a little <laughs> bit of research on it. I found one quote, though, in the maternal wall section that I thought was interesting, which is, yes. it was kind of described this. She, she says, the ideal worker is expected to be unreservedly devoted to work, while the ideal mother is expected to invest similar levels of devotion to her children. As a result, motherhood is perceived as incompatible with high levels of work effort. And I thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. That's exactly it. Yeah. That is exactly it, is yeah. that we have these expectations of both, right? And so this is where I want to talk for a minute about this bias that we, this is the experience, right? This is the thing we don't control, that our community believes that in order to be a good worker, you really have to be fully committed to work. Mm-hmm. And to be a good mom, you have to be fully committed to your children. Mm-hmm. And so if you're fully committed to each, that is, by its nature, an impossibility. Yeah. Yes. It's an impo- it's an impossible situation. And so that's, I think, in my experience anyway, is why I resonate with this one more than any of them. It's an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does it look like? Well, not getting hired or promoted, et cetera, because you have children. That was proved. And again, you know what? I don't uh, also we should say a lot of the, if not all of it is also rooted in science. So she was saying like, oh, there's lots of data about the disparity in pay between mothers and, and women who are not mothers. There's there's um, opportunities as far as promotion projects. I mean, this is shocking, really, to yeah. me. And I think all of the other the other biases that we've referenced, there's really good data for as well, which obviously we're not going to cite today. Um, but it's also this I was really surprised when she was saying women. I think it might have been in law because, of course, she it does have a background yes. in law are like openly encouraged to take lesser roles mm-hmm. or, or Go, change mm-hmm. their careers mm-hmm. when they become mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was one woman who said, yeah, I came back to work after having been a mom and all of a sudden the assignments I was getting were like that of an associate rather than a partner. Mm-hmm. It was really like almost immediately. And if you are at the unusual firm who offers part-time work to lawyers, getting back on the partnership track or getting back to where you were very difficult. I, this is interesting for me because as I think most of the listeners know, after my third baby was born, I was separated from the kid's dad and ended up getting a divorce. And so Sky was just tiny, tiny, two weeks old. And it was interesting to see how that played out in the workplace, because I think nobody really expected me to come back to work. Mm -hmm. Until they found out that I was separated. Mm. And once I was separated, their perception of me changed because I then was seen as having a financial need. Oh, interesting. Right? So I do think in that particular situation that my own circumstance changed the assumptions of those around me. And you noticed it. You noticed it. You felt it. In retrospect, 
I don't think I did at the time because I was so freaked out. I was going to say, and you also <laughs> had three kids at home and a newborn. And you're, out. Yeah. But as I look back on that experience, I can see where that move into the next phase of my career was far easier than the later ones. Mm. And I look back, I've always wondered, why was it so easy? Why was why was I so able to get to this place at this time? Oh, because they perceived I had economic need. Yeah. Which then changed later. Right. Anyway, whatever. That, that really did kind of bump up against that um, bias. Yes. And it changed. It was a positive thing for right. me. But not but I did feel this maternal tug of war quite a bit throughout my career, even like sometimes, you know, even now that I have like my kids are out of college. Yeah. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. And I think about this kind of collective, the collective experience that we've described thus far, that women are, and again, again, this, I think this is all very familiar to our listeners, that women have to continue to prove their value. Mm -hmm. They have to continue to prove their brilliance. They have to do that while also walking this tightrope of expectations around gender. Yeah. And if I'm too much or too little and, you know, now do you want to carry a baby across that tightrope? Exactly. How does that look? And where, you know, and and immediately then have specific, have very um, opportunities removed from your future because you have children. I mean, it's a And I love this analogy. That you've just created. Thank you. Because what it does now is it says, okay, what's the safety net look like? Right. Which takes us into number four, the fourth experience of women at work, which is the tug of war. Right. Right. So if we had a, if we had a safety net under the tightrope, you know, as we were carrying this baby or, or not, right. What would that look like? So talk about the tug of war because. Well, I think I, I think the safety I think the the safety net underneath would be women who ha, who embrace a got you sister right like it's a network okay. like a posse like people and hopefully there's men in there too right and 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 other people or a community mm-hmm. or um a community and other and people mm-hmm. and systems and structure and policy that all support support this circus act that's being performed right but instead what she says is we have we're in a tug of war Mm -hmm. there's a other there's another woman on a tightrope walking next to you and one next to her and one next to her Mm -hmm. and y'all are grabbing onto it we're not you all we're all holding ropes Mm -hmm. and pulling each other trying to pull each other off the off the tightrope that's the tug of war. Because sometimes we do things when you are in a dysfunctional system, which is what bias is, is a dysfunctional system. Yeah. It creates dysfunction, right? So women in the system behave in ways where we pit ourselves against one another, where we view that there's only so many opportunities, where some of us act like men. Try to pass. And worsen the situation for other women, yep. right? Um, so I think that Sometimes our strategies in dealing with the dysfunction create more dysfunction. Yeah. And that's what this last thing is about. Yeah. Which, which I think of all the things we've talked about on the on the show, we've talked about this one the least. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is I get it requested. Mm. I have several women who've asked me, when are you going to talk about how about how women treat other women? 
I think we should. Yeah. I think it would be a really great thing to find some good data and information about and talk to about dig our, in deeper. our own experiences. And frankly, I think you and I have such a great example of lifting each other up. Yes. And and I think both of us have those and other of those experiences, oh, yeah. you know, lots of people that lift us up. And what I love so much about all of these things, back to kind of the beginning and where we started, is all of these things are about our own agency in a dysfunctional system. Mm-hmm. How is it that we behave? What choices do we make in order to change our own experience? Yeah. Right? Because we're not going to affect system-wide change. We're just not. Um, so we're not going to eliminate bias. We're just not. That's kind of what Joan says, right? Like that yes. she can't, she was very frustrated that she was not able to eliminate to, yeah, to, to change the collective of experience of women mm-hmm. from her position. But here's my little sunshine ray of hope. Let's right? hear it. Here's my sunshine ray of hope. I do think with all of these small acts, we do make change over time. I mean, I yeah, you're right. None of us are going to solve bias by ourselves. But I think that in all of us living these lives that create ease, meaning, and joy, you know, where I think that it changes the system. Yeah. I have this deep belief in that. I do too. And and the, well, good. I feel like less of a Pollyanna then. Well, Thank you. <laughs> she's like spewing rainbows out her mouth. Exactly. But, Even though but I'm a skeptic, I, think, I can spew some rainbows. But I think it does. You know, it does start with changing our own experience mm-hmm. and making sure our buckets are full. And. um and that we're sort of recognizing how we have. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. It was very good. That was my stomach. I know. I must mm. be hungry. Mm-hmm. We do have um, a, a obligation to ourselves. Yes. To start here. Mm-hmm. To start here. Yeah. Um, and can I? Can I? Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I'm so used. I was going to gonna that. say. <laughs> See, I always think a good conversation is that we interrupt each other. I love it. That's why I'm saying go for it. Okay. It's my East Coast upbringing. I love it. I do want to dip in because I cannot, I mean, this whole experience of us in the workplace, I do want to dip into women of color. Okay. Right? Because one of the things that Joan talks about with her group of 130 or so women, she's talking to women of color as well. And their experience is as we have talked about in other episodes, exacerbated. Yeah. Right. So how often do they experience prove it again more? How often do they experience the tightrope more? How often do they experience the maternal wall more? Heck of a lot more. And that's what was interesting, too, is that the disparity between white women and women of color was the greatest on the maternal wall. Yeah. Which I think that's. Of course, because they're dealing with multiple biases. Mm -hmm. And that that one is the most distinct. Uh And yeah. Okay, so since I interrupted you, I can imagine it was amplified. Where were you headed? Well, I was headed in this like I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know where I was headed. I, it, dear God, I'm gonna have to play this back and maybe remind I myself that. Maybe, maybe I you sense might be getting lost in the woods. I do want to go back to this analogy though, and only because I love it so I much. I love the tightrope. I fantastic. don't want to go. I just picture women walking on a tightrope. And like you said, some of them are holding a baby. Some of them are of color. Some of them of them are a color. Some of them are, you know, have a disability. Some of them, it, it's just like right. We've all we're all coming to this thing with our own experience. The tightrope is frayed every so often, right? That's because you're you have to prove it again. Like you know, you, and you're 
and you're pulling on a rope between other women. Mm -hmm. It's just an interesting Mm -hmm. analogy for me. And I, I'm going to think about that one, but, but, and so what do you do? What are some of those personal things? I mean, and this is where we could spend, and frankly, we may have spent five years (laughs) talking about all of the things that we can do to create Mm -hmm. ease, meaning, and joy in a system that is designed to ensure that we stay in our place. Yeah. And a lot of the suggestions that Joan and her daughter, what's her daughter's name? Rachel Dempsey. Her daughter's name is Rachel Dempsey. Yeah. Joan and Rachel offer a lot of suggestions that are just like all of the suggestions we offer. Get really good at identifying the stuff in the moment. Take care of yourself. Um, Support other women. Build a network. Call out, you know, the dude who steals your idea. Was there anything unique or particular that you wanted to point out, Kirsten, in all of those kinds of strategies or solutions or whatever that, 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 that struck you in the book? Yes. The thing that I, most of it, it's interesting. Like everything else that we do, there's stuff that's super helpful for me. And then stuff I'm like, ah, it's not very helpful. So I encourage people to read this book and really take what's helpful and throw away the rest. There were some things that I thought, ah, that doesn't work for me. For example, under the prove it again strategies, she says, I'm sorry, not prove it again, tightrope strategy. She says it's helpful to kind of assume a role in the workplace. Like, are you the big sister? Like if you're a big personality, maybe you can be like a big sister and really be like excited and taking care of people and be out there and kind of leading things, right? Mm -hmm. And I really blanched at that Hmm. because I don't like it when someone tells me I had to play a role, (laughs) right? That was like, ugh. But I can also see how kind of using that for somebody else could be super helpful. Mm -hmm. The thing that I really appreciated, and I know this, but I appreciated her saying it and bringing it more to my attention on strategy, which is we as individual women need to figure out our own strategies based on our individuality and our experiences and our resources and all the things. Mm -hmm. It is not any of our jobs to eliminate bias, right? Yeah. So she really is wanting, she is saying to people, really take care of yourselves, Mm -hmm. which I loved that. Mm -hmm. I was like, she, she basically says, if you have a trust fund and you love conflict, have at it. Yeah. But other than that, take <laughs> yeah. care of yourself. Yeah. Gosh, I just loved that. I found it to be so simple and freeing and clear. And it's something that I know, like I've known it in the back of my head. We can only do what we can do. Yeah. But it was great to see her in this book about women at work say it so clearly. Yeah. I appreciated that too. Uh-huh. And she does offer a lot of strategies that might work for you and might not work for you. And I think, like I said before, a lot of them are the things that we've talked about mm-hmm. over the years um, that are really intended to build up your, um, what did I say, buffer your reserve, buffer your, you know. Take care, like you said, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And and I also found it interesting because of these four themes, they're easy to get your head around. They're easy to sort of, um, like you said, categorize our experiences so that you can start seeing them at work. Seeing the patterns. Yeah. And then figuring out how to address them. Yeah. Right? 
Yes. So, huh, am I constantly having to prove my competency at work? Am I having to work harder? On Prove It Again, I loved it when she suggested having positive lines to to take your idea back. Yeah. Like saying to somebody, oh, my gosh, that, you know, it sounds like you're on the same track I was on. You've said it in a different way. That's super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Or, oh, my gosh, it sounds like you agree with me. Would it be fair to say this? And you know what? That one? bugs the crap out of me. You know what? Sometimes you got to do it. You love it. You're you're like, I love it. That's positive. And I would, I just want to say, <laughs> I yeah. just said that. No, I just say, yeah, no, duh. That's exactly what so I just said. I know we are so different on strategy. Yes. But she also says things like, you know, if you're somebody great. She also says what Be I, who you're, <laughs> and here's the part where she pushed me. She said, own your successes mm-hmm. and be willing to talk about them. And I remember a time when one of my partners walked into the office and whenever I get a thank you note from a client, I put it in a folder in my drawer. Well, I've been at this so long. It's a whole drawer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a drawer full of cards and notes and they're not organized. There's a big pile of, and you know. And sometimes gift cards, which I have found. <laughs> I've literally, I've seen that drawer. And I'm like, wait, what? Let's go You're out like, to lunch. Where are we going? Exactly. Are we getting a massage? <laughs> you do do that. I love that. But I, it was interesting because one of the partners walked in when I had this drawer opened. And he said, what's that? And I said, oh, those are my thank you cards from clients over the years. And I said, here's the one I'm putting in. And I read it to him. And I realized that was very good. Yes. I was after the fact that I realized it was good, but yeah. I was like, I'm so glad he saw that. Yes. Yeah, this was before I was a partner. Own your success. Own, own your success. I own love your that. Brilliance. In, I love that own and your, prove it again. Yes. Yeah. Um, I like one of the things don't serve your anger hot. I that thought that was, was on, kind of an interesting. Is that a tightrope one? Was that one of her strategies on tightrope? I don't. It was one of her science savvy lessons. Oh, but okay. I just thought, I thought so kind of thinking about the difference between, well, thank you for uh, restating exactly what I just said. <laughs> um, you know, approach. Mine is like, mm, that's my, you know, I, it, my, my willingness to be upset. Um, <laughs> Yes. I'm going to start to resonate like, yeah, don't serve your anger hot. Like th- there were a couple of cool things in there like that. Yep. I and we're kind of bouncing around, but this was another one that I really liked on the maternal wall is she says to make your commitment very clear mm. at work when you get back from having a baby mm-hmm. or taking off time to be with a kiddo. And I realized as I said it before, that's exactly what getting separated from the kid's dad did. It became crystal it was clear. crystal clear that I was communicating at work my commitment. Yeah, yeah. And as enraging and as I, all... And by the way, that would not be the way that I would do it, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, not the way. Not Just use it. your words. <laughs> <laughs> Don't separate from your husband unless you want to. But I think that, you know, as as frustrating as it is, that we are going to, that we have to, that, mm-hmm. that we have to make our commitment mm-hmm. obvious after having a baby or that we have to think about, you know, nice ways to take an idea back. As as upsetting as that is, I think her point is that's kind of what we that need to be doing. That might be the way we get to ease. Yeah. Right. Because we want ease. So some of these things are about ease. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's if you can find a way to get something that gives you some ease to and works for you. Yeah. Do it. Um, and I the the I do want to touch on some kind of tug of war bits here from her. Sure. And, you know, I resonated so much, maybe because she's kind of my generation. Mm-hmm. There is a big difference between 
my experience in the workplace and the women who are 20 years younger than yeah. me. And we just have to be rem- remind ourselves of those experiences and being different. You yes. know, um, my daughter said recently, well, you're not a real feminist. To you? Yes. And she's absolutely right. Interesting. I am a feminist of my age. Yeah. Right. I have wanted the workplace to be different for the women that come after me. And I feel like I've been successful in that in my tiny world. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the things that happened to me as a young associate have not happened to the women who've worked with me. Mm -hmm. Right. So I feel good about that. But I my. I recognize that there's more and different work to be done. Yeah. Right. And so the work has changed. So I need to change in order to do that new work. Yeah. Right. Because I am willing to do that new work. It's interesting, too, though, because she also says she's so she cautions older women, senior women, mm-hmm. not senior citizens, but ra- rather like those of the, you who are in, uh, those in, who've been in the workplace longer to recognize that the experience of younger women are different. And she you know, cautions younger women to recognize the same mm-hmm. and also remember that they're the older women's lives are not as easy as it may look. That may, you know, that they, we came through the fire too. Yeah. It was just a different fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in tug of war, she also does talk a lot about mentorship and camaraderie and really getting women together to form those um, multi-generational support groups. Yeah. Networks. Yeah. You know, I hate, I hate networks sound so sterile to me. Communities. Right. Yeah. Communities. Yep. So g- lots of good tips, lots of good things to ponder, maybe to challenge your uh, assumptions or push your comfort zones. But again, I mean, I really think the, the purpose of this show was to, to really just once again, ground us in the basics, as we said, mm-hmm. and name the collective experience that women are having all around us. It's not just you, sister. It's all of us. There is no silver bullet. And yeah, to recognize that there is no there's no way to, yeah, there's no silver bullet. It is bullet. all about our individual agency mm-hmm. in the moment using strategies that get us closer to what we want. Yes. Yeah. And also then taking some time off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been fun. I'm excited. Any yeah. last minute thoughts? I've, I'm ready. To, I'm done. Are you done? I am done. And I think this will be a good kind of context or lens for the next fifth. 1500 episodes until we take our next sabbatical yeah i'm wondering about that i'm gonna guess we're love doing a sabbatical. that every love a sabbatical love this i love the next couple of episodes that are coming up too i cannot wait to record those we got some really good topics in the hopper we have some fun ones and thanks for being with us thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening listeners all right bye Karina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Karina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. listening.